Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, on the Real Fun DC channel. So um, if it's your first time joining me, welcome. It's so good to have you here. A little background on myself. I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 18 years. Uh, given the last couple of years, it's expanded to be more national and a little international. Um, I do host a food and wine variety show, the only one in DC that's been on for 13 years, called Foodie and the Beast. I do it with my husband, David. I clearly am the foodie. He is also the beast that is both uh, in our marriage and on the show. Um, I can also be heard pretty regularly on WTOP radio where I do trend reports and roundups on what's happening uh, in the food space. And of course, where it all began, the list are you on it.com, the online e-zine that tells you about every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area and silver lining to COVID because there's so many virtual events, you can find those on there as well. I hope you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and here we are now on Industry Night. So what I love about this show is that I get to do a much deeper dive than I do on, let's say, Foodie and the Beast or in any of my other interview capacities because I have the time and I get to share it. But first, before I get into today's guests, where have I been? Now, given what I do, I get to do lots of things. So no travel this week, unfortunately, but I did certainly eat a lot. Now, people are always surprised when they learn that I cook, which I'm always surprised. Like, I love food and wine. Why wouldn't I cook? But um, I'm not a chef, um, but I am a pretty good cook, and I'm a very competent baker, and I love entertaining. So last week I had a crew over and laid out a pretty fabulous Mediterranean feast, but that's not really what I wanna talk about. Backstory, a few weeks ago, uh, we had the owner of Good Stuff Beverage Co., which is a cannabis drink company on my other show, Foodie and the Beast. And it was a great interview, it was lots of fun. We made lots of getting high jokes, um, and, but they sent us samples. And honestly, the samples have been sitting on my very well-stocked bar. And at this dinner party, uh, everybody wanted to know about it, wanted to know why we hadn't tried it. So we opened it up. And um, I have to be honest, I was, I mean, I'm not a prude and, or anything like that, but I just wasn't really interested in trying a cannabis-laced drink. I just didn't understand, I just didn't understand it. I think that's the best way to explain it. Well, I understand it now, I really do, I really get it. And it was really fun. Uh, Dan, who owns the company, recommended only doing a capful, which I adhered to, although I will say nobody else at my dinner party did. So it got really silly and uh, there was lots of lots of laughter. And um, I'm not suggesting that everybody run out and go do this, but um, I will be pouring some at my next dinner party. Uh, I also had friends coming in from out of town and we were all looking for a proper sit down maybe have an appetizer, an entree, perhaps a glass of wine lunch. And I thought, who does lunch anymore? Um, so it seemed like our options were really limited. So I kind of put it out to my list, are you on it.com team and said, hey, let's do a roundup at every place to get lunch in the city. Not fast casual, but like proper sit down. Remember the days of multi martini lunches? Like, let's do that. 
So believe it or not, over 60 properties in and around the DC area are serving fabulous lunches. And I took my friends to Del Mar, which is on the wharf. It's a Fabio Trabocchi property. If you have not been there, um, it's by far some of the very best service in the area. Um, it is my Yorkin cuisine in a beautiful setting. Um, we had a very long and luxurious lunch. Quick shout out to uh, the delicious, ridiculous fried chicken that the team from Red Rooster is serving. They are opening up their newest property and their commitment to humanely treated chicken and using the best ingredients in their sauces and biscuits really makes it a worth it uh, when you eat it. Lastly, I did pop into Pisco Inasca, which is the Peruvian spot on 18th and K. And I heard it was a super hopping brunch space. And, you know, us DCers, we love our brunch. Um, but I have to be honest, it's downtown. And as I was walking up to the restaurant, it was dead. The street was dead. There was no commotion outside. And I was texting my brunch party to be like, I think we're going to be the only ones here. Until I opened the doors and it was an explosion of of sound and people and smells. The place was totally hopping, incredible empanadas, an incredible array of um, ceviches, great cocktails as well for those of you who dig the brunch cocktails. Um, and I would highly recommend it. So definitely check it out. Okay, I think that's enough for that right now. Let's get on with the show. So a while back, I received some information about this inaugural National Reuse Awards, AKA the Reusees. Now the, resort, the awards were presented by Upstream, which is a nonprofit that they say sparks innovative solutions to plastic pollution. So eliminating unnecessary waste is a topic very close to my heart. Um, and especially after the pandemic, where we all ordered so much to go and had so, and ordered from grocery stores and I just had gobs of plastic and things that could not be recycled in our hands. Uh, this really speaks to me. So I invited Matt Prindeville, who is CEO and Chief Solutioner, which I love, I'm gonna figure out how to put that into my life, of Upstream to chat about the reusees, but more importantly, what can we all do to make real change when it comes to pollution and the status quo? Now, lucky for all of us, Matt brought with him some award winners who are doing some amazing, amazing things. Um, and I'm really honored to have them all with me. So activist of the year goes to Crystal Dreisbach. She is CEO and co-founder uh, and executive director of Don't Waste Durham. Uh, Lindsay McCoy is a fan favorite uh, with her company, Plain Products. And Gar Punnett, he is the most innovative reuse company with Reefly, which I thought was reapplied, but it's replay. So we're going to talk to everybody and we're going to find out about all this today. And I'm very excited for this conversation. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Nikki, a real pleasure. Great to be here. So Matt, let's start a little bit about you and Upstream. Sure. Yeah, well, like you said, you know, we, we work to spark innovative solutions to plastic pollution, but for us, the problem, it's not just plastic, it's really the throwaway economy that's driving plastic pollution and a whole host of other problems. You referenced this uh, in your introduction here. And so, so as an organization, we work to make throwaway go away. That's kind of one of our taglines. And we do that through helping businesses make the shift from single use to reuse. Uh, we do that also through public policy to help create the, uh, the conditions for this thriving new reuse economy to come into being. 
Um, and we also do social impact campaigns where we poke fun at, at single use stuff and we show that, you know, this real and reusable future is not just some pipe dream, but it's actually happening here today. And you're going to want to be a part of helping to co-create it. Well, I mean, everything you say sounds really good, but I think practicality is where a lot of people absolutely get put off, right? Yeah. So when we talk about single use products, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, what we're talking about is really all of the stuff that comes into your life, whether that is through ordering takeout food uh, delivered to your house, or whether that's all the products that you buy at the grocery store or at the convenience store or the things you order online. Primarily, we're talking about consumable products. I would, I would guess that most of your listeners, if they were to look in their garbage can and look in their recycling bin, most of what they're seeing there is the packaging that comes with consumable products. And so we know that there's a better way than throwaway, which is another thing we like to say out there, and that there are all these incredible entrepreneurs um, like Gar, like Crystal, like Lindsay, um, that are out there creating new ways of getting us the things that we want and need without all the waste. And do you consider yourselves a platform for like the people we have with us today? I mean, it's because your goal is to, I guess, to find these kinds of companies so that you can raise their platform to eliminate waste, correct? Is that, do I have that's, that's right? a Yeah, great, great question. So yes, it's a, a yes and. Um, you know, I think that, that for us, the, as a nonprofit organization, we can do things that for-profit companies can't. And so a lot of what we are focused on is helping to show people that the problem with single-use plastic isn't just about single-use plastic. It's, it's, it's really about the concept of single-use itself which is really, an, it's a new idea for human beings. Like we, for almost all of, of civilization, the driving values have really been thrift, right? It's been thrift, make it last, use it up. You know, like we, we didn't have this abundance of materials and natural resources that we've been harvesting from the planet to enable this throwaway economy that's only been with us for really for the last 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the impacts of that, right? So we, a lot of the time we, people talk about, you know, the big environmental issues out there, climate change, deforestation, um, you know, toxic chemical use, pollution. So much of that is driven by the way that we consume. Um, so for example, when most people think about climate change, they think about driving their car, or they might think about the way that they heat their home. but what's driving climate change more than anything else is the consumption of goods and food and products. If you add in the consumption of goods and, and, and food, it's about 55% of the United States carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of it is about how do we, how do we, how do we get the unnecessary consumption out of that system so that we can consume in a much more sustainable way. And, and one of the, the biggest parts that of, of unnecessary consumption is all of the throwaway packaging. And mm -hmm. when you look at like these, these major industries, so for example, we look at, at um, the plastics industry, for example, which has all of these environmental impacts that are you know, from you know, fracking for natural gas uh, to pipeline construction, to plastics production in, in the Gulf South. Um, to all the pollution and all the waste, 
you know, 40% of what the plastics industry makes is packaging. <laughs> And about and about um, 25% of the total, so more than half of, of what the packaging is a single use packaging, right? So right. a huge amount of, of, of what that industry is creating is single use packaging. Same with paper. So same with forestry. I live in I live in Maine. It's a state where we have a lot of forestry going on. You know, as we've seen things like newspapers and magazines, the consumption of that go down. We've actually we're actually using more paper than we were before because paper packaging has gone up. Uh, and I know all of us probably are aware of this when we think about the Amazon boxes that are coming to our house on a on a regular basis. Um, you know, there's a lot of consumption that is based around these kind of linear single use packaging models that we need um, to, to change. And the entrepreneurs uh, that we've featured in the reusies and that we're featuring on the show today are the ones that are helping to hack those challenges and figure it out. So, so part of what we're doing is just raising awareness about, hey, it's not just single use plastic, it's really about the way that we consume and it's the problem is single use itself. And then the other is, what are the things that we can do to enable and support these entrepreneurs in scaling their businesses? And part of that is about uh, consumer education. Part of that is about public policy. And some of that is actually about helping them get access to some of these bigger companies um, that could potentially utilize their services to become more sustainable. Well, because I'm sure it's a little chicken and egg, right? Like they need the money to be able to scale up. That's right. Um, and they also need to get these bigger corporations to understand what's needed yep. in order. And then they have to change. It's also a culture, right? You know, That's convenience right. is a culture. We're all very used to things being easy. Yep. Um, plastic is easy, which is why everybody uses it. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about these awards. And, yeah. you know, you've brought all these great people to me today. I feel really fortunate because I'm so excited to talk to everyone. How do you all get in touch with these people? Are you just like on the ground being like, who do you know? What do you know? Or do people come to you? How does it work? Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, because we've been in this space now for a long time working on waste and plastics and, and so on, we built relationships with a lot of the, the solutioneers. So we call, uh, you know, our, our friends like Lindsay and Crystal and Gar, like these are our solutioneers that are out there and creating new ways of doing things that show what the future could be like. And so, you know, we don't just want these guys to have success. We want them to inspire other people to want to uh, start a business in the reuse space and, and start figuring out how to innovate around these things. And one of the things that we recognized was missing in the reuse sector was um, an award show to help elevate uh, the companies that are doing this and elevate the whole sector. And so we had this kind of crazy idea, um, our chief marketing officer, Vanessa, and uh, our chief operating officer, Julian, and I were hanging out and we were like, what if we did like the Oscars for reuse? <laughs> right. And uh, this was like a, you know, literally like a, you know, a back porch kind of conversation over lunch. And, and so, you know, this idea was born. And when we started looking around for partners, we recognized that um, you know, one of the most important impact investment firms in the circular economy space is a group called Closed Loop Partners. They're funding a lot of the reuse companies in the space. And so it was a natural partnership. So we reached out to them and, we, and they said yes. And we started brainstorming and we brought together an incredible production uh, team to help pull it all off. And then when we opened the submissions for, <laughs> for, for it, we got 1,300 submissions. Um, oh, wow. All over, all over the United States uh, for all of the different folks that are, that are working. And it also helped to, for us to, to show that 
this movement is alive and well and 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 ready and ready to blow up. Um, and so that's kind of how we that's where the idea started. And and we had a lot of fun pulling the award show together and a lot of fun, um, you know, highlighting the great companies that uh, are we're featuring on the show today. Well, you know, that makes me feel good because as a lay person listening to all this, but you know, wanting to do something, it does feel overwhelming. It does feel like it's so massive. Yeah. And um, you just don't really know what you can do. What, you know, is my small, not doing, you know, not getting straws. Does that really make a difference? Do you know what I mean? Oh, like sometimes yeah. everything feels so small. All right, yeah. Matt, I'm going to come back to you. Yeah, sounds um, great. Because I want to get to the activist of the year, awesome. uh, Crystal Dreisbach. Hi, Crystal. It's so nice to have you today. Nikki, thanks for having me. Um, so, Crystal, let's talk a little bit about your background. And um, I, I read in your bio, and I love this. Uh, you found yourself looking around and thinking, no one is doing the work. Um, so I'm going to. And I, I applaud that. So what were, what were you seeing that wasn't happening that you were like, I have to change this? So in the Rio space right now, it seems like we have a lot going on. But the day that the epiphany hit me was in 2010 mm -hmm. when I really didn't see too much going on in the reuse space. And I had this at the time, crazy idea that maybe we could reuse uh, takeout containers instead of having styrofoam throwaway containers. And I started thinking more and more about what it would take to do something like that. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. So after working on some policy change around trying to ban styrofoam in our city and running into a few barriers, I thought we can use innovation instead to tackle this problem while mm -hmm. we wait on the government to do the right thing. We can, we can innovate. So we started building what we needed to make a reuse system possible. And this was way back in the day. We figured out, okay. And actually we had community input meetings where we invited everyone from the whole community, concerned residents, um, activists, local government folks, the faith-based community, everybody came together and we gave them big sheets of white paper and Sharpie markers and divided them into groups and had them help us design what a reuse system in our city could look like. And it really came down to very simple infrastructure for pickup, wash and delivery and then the hmm. technology to ensure the return of the whatever it is serveware and that's how it all began i eventually left my job in public health research uh, because i could see this is what the world needs and i need to really focus my energies on it it's industry night with nikki nellis thanks for listening to real fun dc now back to industry night with Nikki Nellis. So you started with Don't Waste Durham and it's grown. And now you have all these other like things under the umbrella. So let's talk about what each of those are and how they are making change. So Don't Waste Durham's mission as a nonprofit is to create solutions that prevent trash. So there are all kinds of ways that you can work on preventing trash. There's obviously advocacy and awareness building but what's most important to us is the behavior change that comes from top-down policy and innovations that businesses and people can use now so this isn't like oh you know choose not to drink out of a straw today 
to individuals. This is more systemic change. We want to make it just, uh, we want it to be the norm um, that things are reused. It's not that people have to choose it. That's just what is. I mean, consumers will do the thing that they are offered. So let's make sure that we're working our way toward that being what's the norm. So one of the examples is we're working on a 10 cent fee on single use bags um, in grocery stores. Now I know Durham and North Carolina may be a little behind the rest of the United States, but we still use plastic shopping bags and there's no fee on it. So we wanna create that economic signal in people's brains that there is a cost to it. And it's well documented that an economic signal like that can um, really change behavior. So it can reduce the usage of single use bags by 85%. Mm -hmm. So in tandem, we also believe that those should be coupled with innovation. So we also invented Bull City Boomerang Bag, which uses rescued materials, which we have enough of in our community already to make reusable bags for the entire world for the rest Forever. of the time. We don't have to import virgin cotton from elsewhere. We have the materials, it's called reuse, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then we have an army of volunteer sewers who sew hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these bags. They have two sewing sessions a week. There's an assembly line, it's amazing, they're branded. And then we take these awesome, beautiful mismatched bags that have our branding to grocery stores where we stock the grocery store with them. So people can choose to take a bag. They don't have to bring their own. That's the thing, that's a barrier, right? People forget mm -hmm. to bring their bags. No more, we have taken away that barrier. You just show up at your grocery store with your wallet, do your shopping, and you can take the bags as many as you want and keep them, you can use them again. But we believe free and equitable access to reusable bags is a thing. And phase two will be using our infrastructure we've already built to return the bags or any fabric bags we will wash, sanitize, and then restock the grocery stores so that there's really no excuse um, right. for not using. So th that's a couple of examples. Well, I think that's amazing because I have to be honest. Um, I, I can't even believe, now I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, and uh, there is a fee. Also in Washington, D.C., there's also a fee for, plastic, for bags in general, but it was supposed to be originally just for plastic bags. I cannot believe that people still use plastic bags. Like it, it blows my mind, especially, you know, in certain areas where people seem to be um, politically on the same page and, and are passionate about making change that the plastic bag is still so readily available in every store, grocery stores, drug stores, restaurants. You know, if you go get to go, you get a plastic bag, it's infuriating. And it's really not the consumer's fault, right? At the, right. the checkout, they really don't have a choice unless they're green and crunchy and remember their bag. So mm -hmm. it's up to us to change industry, to change policy so that it is, that it becomes the norm and that's what customers are used to. But you know, I'm gonna fight you a little bit on that. Just <laughs> because we wanna do something for the environment doesn't make us green and crunchy. It, that makes it sound like a negative. Do you know what I mean? Like, I totally do that. I was sort of parroting what the, what, right. you know, the mainstream thinks of it. This is not but, about tree hugging. This is about survival. This is about our local economy. It's about our health. Right, I couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, I think reuse is, um, uh, there's some sort of, 
there is negativity about reuse, right? That you feel like um, maybe it's economically based. Uh, you want something new, you want something shiny. Maybe it's, um, you know, just not knowing about it. So what, how do you get in front of the right people to share your message? I think that the original thing we did when we started Green To Go Reuse System for Takeout Containers um, mm -hmm. in Durham, that was in 2017, there was a sense that we needed to get our concept validated, right? We don't want to start something in a community that people aren't accepting. Mm -hmm. So we launched a Kickstarter, which is a great way to make your sort of startup funds but the other even maybe just as important thing that Kickstarter does is it validates your idea. Because if 500 people in your community say, we should have had this 10 years ago, yes, 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 please get this started in our community, then you know you have buy-in, you have those mm -hmm. early adopters who will start using it and we can use that as a demonstration project for the whole community. And in those four years, oh wow, it is now, Everybody now knows in Durham what Green To Go is. Right. Um, and more and more, it's not just the early adopters, you know, mainstream people are seeing. So it's almost like you have to do education while you build innovation. Um, right. Use those early adopters to show. I am curious just because, you know, I, I'm very involved in the restaurant industry. Was it hard to get restaurants on board for that? Because, you know, I, I hate using the term razor thin margins because I feel like it's been used an awful lot in the last few years, but it's not a lie. It, running a restaurant is expensive. Uh, getting goods to pack things up to go is very expensive. And then when the pandemic hit, there were lots of restaurants who never put their stuff in a box that had to figure it out. So was it hard to sell that component? You know, we never had that trouble. I don't know how we were so lucky, but we started with our friend restaurants, people we knew who owned restaurants and their friends. And so there's this immediate trust relationship. So this was like 30 founding restaurants who agreed to do it even before we had a service. They're mm -hmm. like, that sounds great, let's do it. So that we could tell the community, these restaurants are the ones you will first be have this available in. Um, they were very excited. I think there's, you know, those layers of behavior change. There's the people who will right. do it no matter what. Then you got the people who sort of have to see the other people do it before they'll agree, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we definitely save restaurants money um, okay. and we make them more money because our program's like a loyalty program. Our customers choose to go to restaurants that have green to go because they'd rather not create waste. Mm -hmm. And so that does help a lot. Um, yeah, and it's really the marketability of the restaurant too. They enjoy saying we're a green to go restaurant that gives right. them, that makes them unique from other Absolutely. restaurants. All right, Crystal, we're going to get back to you. Um, it's so exciting to hear what you're doing. I feel like we need a little more of that in the DC restaurant market, just, uh, planting a seed there. Um, okay. So, um, Plain Products is on a mission to eliminate single use plastic from the bathroom. Uh, I love that it's so specific, and uh, Lindsay McCoy is here to talk about it. She was the fan favorite at the Reusey. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It's always exciting to have a new platform to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about it, Lindsay. How did you launch Plain Products? 
Um, you know, I think a little bit like Crystal, I actually was living in the Bahamas. Um, my husband's from there and absolutely gorgeous islands. But when you're on a small island, they don't have the same infrastructure that we have here in the U.S. to make our waste disappear magically. So you don't have to worry about it. So I actually got to see the plastic that we were using kind of piling up, you know, finding it on the beach, seeing it in the landfill, seeing it on the side of the road. And so I started trying to use less. It started to irritate. Every time I had to throw something away, I'm like, I'm just gonna see that in the landfill. That's gonna be there for 500 years. And one place I couldn't find a solution was all of those plastic bottles in the shower. So when we decided to move back to the US, I was like, Maybe I should do it. Um, maybe I should do this. My dad had always been an entrepreneur growing up, small businesses. So it didn't seem crazy to me to try and solve the, the problem that way. Okay. So you started with that and what you had to do research, obviously. Oh, I mean, I mean so, so I, much. Like, I think about the shampoo <laughs> aisle or the soap aisle, yes. even at like a, a Whole Foods, you know, or Trader Joe's or a mom. Yeah you know, which have real uh, initiatives for the environment, they're filled with plastic. You know, there's not, there's nothing in a glass bottle. No, and, and as you said, you know, because plastic is easy. Right. So we came up with this concept and, you know, betraying my age here, but sort of again, like, like Netflix, how it started out. I was like, what if you could just get a bottle and then when you're done, send it back. Right. And use it and, and have it just be a, a circular process. And so we tried to figure out how to make that possible. And it took us about a year and a half to find so a manual. How did you, did you do it? Because so here's how it's it works. Not the pro is it the product? Like that's, that's the part I, I'd love to understand, yeah. like the process. So here's what happens. You go online and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how you buy it yourself first. And then we can talk about all the other things that we're doing. Okay, so great. Go to the website, pick a product, order it comes to your door, a bottle and a pump, put the pump on. Then when you're running low, you come back to the website and order a refill bottle, or you can subscribe and we'll send it automatically. And that bottle comes with a return label. Got so it. the bottle return label shows up at your door, mm -hmm. take it out, switch the pump over, then stick the empty bottle in that box, stick the return label on the outside and it comes back to us and we wash, refill and reuse it. Wow. And what are the products that you're specifically selling? So we're doing shampoo, conditioner, body lotion, hand wash, facial line, hand sanitizer, hair repair, beauty oil. We're about to add a gel and a conditioner. So as you mentioned, we're just, we're trying to help everybody get all of those plastic bottles out of their bathroom. That's right. Yes. But given the breadth and depth of the beauty product world <laughs> as a consumer. Yes. Of yes. massive products. Yes. I'm a product whore. If you tell me it'll make me pretty, I will buy it. So how do you get yourself in that market? Because I feel like you've got two things going on here. You have this fabulous concept that makes a lot of sense, but you have brand loyalty to products. So, um, you know, so it's a little bit, that? a little bit what Crystal was talking about. You know, we started really just to prove that it was viable and that you could do it. Mm -hmm. And then now we're working to talk to other brands about how you do it. You know, Crystal and I were just having a conversation the other day about the importance of reuse infrastructure, which literally just means dishwashers all around the country to wash bottles. Right. Not complicated, but needs to, needs to do the work. Right. So, you know, that, those are the conversations that we're having right now, but we had to prove that customers were interested, prove that package differentiation mattered to people that they were willing to buy on the basis of that, which I think we've proven. 
And so now we're using that momentum to talk to other brands. There's a, a group called Pack Collective that's a lot of beauty companies are getting involved in. It's all about packaging. How do we make it more sustainable, more reusable? And so we're just a part of that conversation. Well, since you're doing a subscription base mm -hmm. as well, so how do you handle the other packaging? How do you handle, how do you make it at, you know, like what you have to pack the, the aluminum bottles in and what people send stuff back? How do you handle all that stuff? Because as, as Matt was talking about in the beginning, I mean, that's, that's an issue as well, right? It is. So we use recycled cardboard and we have designed it specifically for our bottles. So we don't have to stick a bunch of fill in the cardboard, just the bottles fit in perfectly. And there's a little bit of protection around them. And then people can use those same boxes to send their bottles back. And we reuse boxes six, eight times. We use paper tape so that the boxes are recyclable when they're mm -hmm. done, but okay. there's no extra um, plastic packaging or fill in them. Again, it's just, you know, being a little bit more thoughtful about it and taking the time to design something for the packaging. Well, I have one other question, which may sound like it's coming out of real left field, but you know, one of the reasons why I've always assumed that there's like plastic around the rim of a, let's say a shampoo bottle or, you know, like that, that aluminum ish fake, what, I don't know, whatever it is, plasticky thing that, you know, cuts mm -hmm. that they have that, so it doesn't spill out. I always thought that part of that had to do with it so that it wouldn't be tampered with. Is that anything that you hear? Um, you know, we chose not to do that for packaging mm -hmm. reasons. So, you know, I do think if you're in a mass factory or, you know, you, you have a lot of different parts to your supply chain, we kept it very simple. We have one manufacturer who makes all of our products. They make it, they put it right in our bottles and they send it right to us. Mm -hmm. So we know them, we feel very comfortable with them. We trust them. They trust us enough to send our bottles back to them to refill. So mm -hmm. we didn't feel like we needed to do that extra piece. I know that for food packaging, it is legally required, but for better or for worse, the cosmetics industry is still the wild, wild west, which is, it why is. Get a it is. lot of ingredients you wouldn't want in your products, but it does give us the flexibility to work around that piece. Now we, um, I had the EWG on a long time ago and they really talked about, uh, you know, they want to get rid of certain, pro you know, uh, ingredients in beauty products. Like yeah. it's what the United States allows compared to it what is. they allow in France Terrifying. or other places. It's unbelievable. You unbelievable. talked about research. I mean, when we were doing research, I considered myself a relatively educated consumer. I was shocked at what is in your average shampoo, conditioner, body wash. And I would really encourage people to look at their labels. And if you see lots of long chemical names, maybe rethink your products, regardless of the packaging. It's. I, I mean, there is an ignorance when it comes to us buying products. Again, oh. as I said, if you tell me it makes me look pretty, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, and I think there's just a belief that, you know, why would anybody put something bad in a product? But unfortunately, you know, there are people who other things matter to them. And, and more and more research is being done every day. I mean, I think we're, we're learning that things that nobody questioned are now not the greatest things to be putting on, on and in your body. Well, and I do think that as, uh, as consumers become more educated for better or for worse, um, they are making demands for things to be cleaner, for products As they to be should. Visible, right? They I should. Mean, you, you should not be able to buy something that could potentially damage you. Right, exactly. So now as you've launched this and gotten this out, I know you have your own products, but are you also talking to other, other companies and showing them 
what, you know, as a consultant or creating this kind of program for them as well? We, we are, um, we're just getting into that right now. Um, maybe it's, I, I was a nonprofit girl before I was a business girl. So yes, I mean, for me, the mission is how do we get less plastics? How do we have less chemicals in all of our lives? Mm-hmm. So we're really leveraging this win on the reusies as a platform to start talking to other brands and to demonstrate the strength of the model and why they should, why they should get into it. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Uh, Gar. Uh, Punet, he, uh, they are the most innovative reuse company, uh, according to the reusees. How are you doing? Doing well. It's a high honor uh, to get that most innovative award. I um, bet. Yeah, and, and frankly, loved hearing about uh, your other show as well, briefly, uh, The Foodie and the Beast. I grew up in a household where my parents were talk show hosts. So oh, really? um, they, had, <laughs> they had a show for 10 years that, uh, so it's a, I'm very familiar with all of the good things and potentially the uh, conversations that always need to happen around show content. Yes, it's not easy. That's true. Um, and I appreciate that. We can talk about that offline. That's so funny. Um, so let's talk about the company uh, weekly. And because I have to be honest, you sent me a bio of what the company does. And I, I was like, I don't understand what you do. So why don't you start from the beginning and explain it to me? We will start from square one. Um, okay. When it really comes down to it, uh, companies, uh, as we've been talking about with consumers, companies don't operate any differently, actually, than, than consumers. Um, they acquire everything that they need for their operations. Um, it's very linear in terms of how they use these uh, resources. This could be operational equipment. It could be chairs, desks. Uh, construction and demolition uh, types of environments where you're getting ceiling tiles. Either way, they procure these assets and resources, they use them, and then they throw them away. And they might be throwing them away, odds are, uh, unnecessarily so, when the opportunity for reuse either internally to one's own operation is is probably highly relevant, um, but also passing it on to the community is probably also likely as well. Okay, so then... When did this company come together? Absolutely. So around 2015, the idea was created. We got the product up and running around 2000, late 16 and, and 17. Um, and really the whole goal is to build software that allows us to connect individual peers and colleagues to more reuse potential within large organizations. So this could be a retail client. This could be a R&D client. Um, uh, tech clients, government clients, um, it's, there's so many opportunities for essentially um, when someone is done with a chair, they essentially just give it back to the surplus team. And the surplus mm-hmm. team in these large organizations, they'll try to find the best way to recover the most amount of money for that asset. Usually it's liquidation. So that usually might mean pennies, maybe dimes on the dollar for what it actually might be worth. Mm-hmm. And our software is taking the other route, finding another use for that chair internal to the organization by essentially what you could think of as an internal marketplace for reuse, uh, reuse ready uh, types of resources. Okay. So it's not reclamation, so to speak, right? You know, like it was really big when the, um, in 2008, when the economy tanked, 
there was like a show called Reclamation Nation or something like that. You know, yes. they go to homes that were going to renovate because they had money. And, um, you know, they would, you know, redo the cabinets and pull up the floors and other people in construction would buy those things instead of throwing them away, which at the time I thought was brilliant. And then that all sort of disappeared. So is this like, like that, what you do, is it like that, but blown up? Yeah, on steroids. Yep. Okay. Um, it's this is the the impact that you can see on the corporate and industrial level are numbers um, that, uh, frankly, aren't talked about because they're staggering. Um, okay. And so when we when we have conversations and this is not to throw shade on any organization or government, but when we have conversations with a, a city or with a large organization in the Fortune 100 type range, um, it's a lot of a lot of waste, um, and there's lots of materials that that don't go used. Um, frankly, they're just brand new, and they never find their actual use internal to the organization, and they still get wasted. Um, yeah. Or it's uh, again that reclaimed material where it might be during a remodel where there's actually a full retail environment, or maybe a full office worth of perfectly fine ceiling material, and that will get un unnecessarily lumped in with trash. Um, and right. get thrown away um, when really what you could do is aggregate it, bundle it, turn it into a commodity either for the community or you could turn it into a commodity for your own operations. And you could find uh, new ways to replace old ceiling tiles with the ones that you just reclaimed out of the same almost identical environment in a lot of these corporate environments. The, the, we don't make offices differently. All, they all look the same. Okay, so but how do people find you? to make that happen because Absolutely. I mean, we've all seen huge dumps. I mean, we're using this as an example, but like we've yeah. all seen huge dumpsters filled with construction stuff and wires and things that clearly, or an office chair or whatever it is, there's always garbage yes. that isn't necessarily garbage, but people, again, we go back to the convenience. It's easy. Uh, yes. Nature, the nature of convenience and not, or not knowing, I'll even give people ignorance, not knowing what to do. So does it mean, you know, you look for charities or, or how, do you, are you the conduit? <laughs> what I'm getting in this too is how do you all make money? Um, is no, also, no, 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 <laughs> I, I, I no, no, I'm a little curious. I'm yeah. a little curious about the money. Yes. But I'm really curious about, I want to know more how it works. I want to know how somebody finds you and says, I got all this stuff. Do you say, oh, well, you can use this stuff over here or we could give it there. Like, how does it work? Yes. So um, our model is a little bit different than other consumer models. We're not looking to reach um, the mass audience just yet. That will be coming more in 2022 and 2023 on how we can really reach out um, and, and help local small businesses. And we can talk more about that. The restaurant industry in particular um, is ripe for reuse in that way. Um, but really what it comes down to ourselves is we go and we go have the conversations with the retail giants, with the tech giants, with the governments and cities. Um, those, we are a B2B sell. So we'll essentially go to them and say, hey, let the likelihood that you all are having these same problems that we've engaged with in other industries is pretty high. So how can we actually start engaging with one another to figure out new potential for new systems and processes to take place at the corporate level? And so we go and have that sell, that conversation with the organization. And that usually results just as an idea of how we actually operate. That results in a, uh, a subscription type model where we are, uh, they, they pay us per month to use our software. 
and then a host of other um, auxiliary services that might come with helping them spin up programs and services and better understand where there might be um, points of uh, intervention uh, from a waste level um, mm -hmm. or increased sort of activation around uh, really understanding their users, which are uh, their employees. Um, right. Their users, how to engage the company on a, on a systems level that makes reuse more uh, uh, more driving really the potential of reuse at those organizations. Well, that's what I'm sort of curious about. So if you hook up with a big company and they have all these things going on and they they want their employees to be a part of it, is there a training protocol? Is there an education component? I mean, some people don't think that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, typically, these organizations have a surplus department. They might have a department called an investment recovery department and the whole those whole departments are actually geared on again taking assets that are in resources that are coming outbound of the organization and trying to get the most that they can out of them. Mm -hmm. um, our job is to actually then connect those um, departments back to the procurement arms of the organization, mm -hmm. so that when someone in the procurement office is just going to look and make a purchase for a new chair. What actually pops up is the used chair that's already in their warehouse. And so they don't have to buy something new anymore. They can actually right. just say, oh, we already have this. I'll just redirect uh, Sheila to go pick up that, um, that chair that's actually in warehouse A, or we can actually have the facilities teams drop that chair off at their location. Wow, that is fascinating. And I, I, I get why it's on a very large level at the moment, but as you winnow it down for smaller, businesses, I, I'm, I'm sure you're way ahead of me on this, but, you know, I can really see like for small businesses, especially small restaurants that, you know, don't know that they could put out almost like on a listserv, you know, like, exactly. hey, we're in need of X and somebody being like, yeah, I'm getting rid of X because I'm getting a new one. Do you know what I mean? Like, listservs are, listservs are the first happen. thing. Yeah, the listservs are the first thing um, that we look to replace because um, no one wants to hit reply all anymore on the listserv. Right. Um, and so that's what really what you can do on, on our, uh, on our website and on the platform is shop and request things that you're looking for. Um, and so it's that two way street a little bit, but a more direct peer to peer exchange. Um, what we're doing on the small business end is we've actually recently launched, um, the sustainable marketplace with Intuit. Um, and so Intuit's actually done this big push, um, to, uh, reach small businesses and, and drive them towards more sustainable action. And we've gone and done that. Um, with them. And so now we are starting to source more small business interests to really figure out how we can build the communities um, around our major clients, but then also build the communities around reuse. Well, I think what's so interesting about everybody that what we're all talking about is I think there is a real misperception of reuse, recycle, et cetera, that it's more expensive, that yes. it is pricier to to live your life being smarter and it's really i mean all three of you have really explained that's not the case at all so i want to bring you all back on matt if you can pop back in for a second um i really want to talk about sort of now that the reusies have happened you have these award winners and and you have these i mean you brought me three fabulous people today who are all doing really interesting things what's how do you help them next? What's next for you all and what you're doing and helping to amplify what they are doing? Yeah, great, great question. And, and of course, you know, you've got 
uh, folks from all different business sectors that are talking with you today as well. So this is a big part of, of the way that we think about change is we're, we're looking at it by business sector. And so, you know, with Crystal doing a ton of work in the food service sector and Lindsay working in the personal uh, care product sector and, and Gar, you know, working on kind of the asset management sector, each of these sectors and a whole lot more beverage, consumer packaged goods, e-commerce, they are all, there are all kinds of things that these sectors can do to start bringing more reuse into the way that, that products and goods and food are delivered. And so our job at Upstream is to really understand what those challenges are and bring people together to help hack them. I, mean, I think that's, that's fundamentally what, what we want to do as an organization. You know, we, we see our role as really kind of as, as alchemists, you know, to kind of, you know, create the cauldron and invite, um, you know, all these incredible people together to come hack these challenges and then to tell those stories, right? So that people can see that this isn't some pipe dream, that this is actually something that could be the way that we completely consume in the next 10 to 15 years. And the way I like to describe it so that it makes sense to people is that when I was a kid, you know, there was only one bin in the kitchen. It was the garbage bin. That was it. That was all we had. And then we got recycling and, and now we've got composting. And in the future, reuse is actually going to take a huge amount of the containers and the products that are currently going into the garbage or into that recycling stream. And they're going to be uh, 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 collected by reuse service providers like Crystal, like Lindsay uh, and others that are going to be, you know, collecting it, washing it, refilling it, putting new products into it and sending it right back out to us. And, and you know, another way to think about this, just in terms of like an analogy that helps to make sense. Um, I was having dinner with, a, with another reuse entrepreneur about a month ago, and we were talking about the circular economy. And I was complaining about how so many of the conversations are about recycling because, you know, recycling is good. It's important. But recycling involves these massive global supply chains generally, and there are environmental impacts all up and down these, these, uh, these global supply chains. And so she said, Matt, I like to think about the circular economy as a dartboard. <laughs> and I was really struck by that. Okay, well, this is interesting. What do you mean by that? And she said, well, on the outer rings of the dartboard, those are the recycling supply chains with all these resources we've harvested from the planet crisscrossing the globe. But in the middle, in, in, in the bullseye, those are the reuse supply chains where we are figuring out how to get people the things that they want and need in these local and regional supply chains that don't generate any waste. And the goal is to drive more and more economic activity away from those outer rings and towards the bullseye, because that's really where the heartbeat of the circular economy lies. And that, you know, really, I thought was such a great example because you know, it, we're not asking people to give up the things that they that they love to consume, right? And we're right. not asking people to go without. We're asking the businesses that serve us, that sell us these things, to do it in ways that are are beneficial for the environment, beneficial for the local economy, and that create all kinds of new economic activity in our communities. I mean, I think this is the big thing, and this is why I'm so excited about what these reuse entrepreneurs are doing is that we are really shrinking these massive global supply chains into these local and regional supply chains and keeping the jobs there. And, and, you know, and thinking about what, where we need to go as, as a country and, and the kinds of things that we need right now, especially as like, you know, there's so many factors that are putting pressure on everyday people, you know, being able to create jobs in our communities and do it in a way that also benefits the planet um, and makes money for investors. Like these are kind of win, win, win. I mean, it's here. like ding, 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 ding. 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 I mean, you're you saying it. everything that people 
need to hear because again, you know, it's just like solar energy or, you know, uh, uh, electric cars, you know, there's always this concern, which I believe is kind of a myth because it has to yeah. be at the end of the day, there are lots of people making lots of money on things getting recycled. That's, that's right. why that's happening. So that's right. Yeah. Changing that conversation is really tough. Yep. Um, yep. But the louder the drumbeat gets, just like recycling, just like you said, I mean, when I was young, yeah. there was no recycling. I mean, you could turn in um, aluminum cans. Aluminum you know, can. That's right. For like yeah. five cents or something. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm showing my age, Lindsay. Uh, but um, yeah, so you could do that. But it. I know it does take time, but yep. um, uh, but obviously time is of the essence now. Um, so it is very exciting. What I'd like to do is I just want um, Lindsay, Crystal, yeah. and Gar, if you'll each pop on, just let's get the name of your, because we're almost out of time. It goes so fast. Uh, just if uh, you give me the name of your business and either your Instagram or uh, website so people can find out about you and what you're doing, that'd be great. Lindsay, let's start with you. So it's Plain Products, Plain with an E, as Nikki and I were talking about earlier. My maiden name is Bella Plain, and my sister mm -hmm. and I started the company together. So it's both that and as well, kind of a, a plain and simple solution. So mm -hmm. it's great that Gar's got the technology going. We're, we're doing, we're doing the, the old fashioned, just wash and reuse. Um, and you can find us on all the channels, just at Plain Products. Excellent. P-L-A-I-N-E. Great. And Crystal, where can we find you? You can find me at don'twasteDurham.org. Mm -hmm. um, our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is all Don't Waste Durham. Excellent, I love it. And Durham is D-U-R-H-A-M people, learn how to spell. Um, okay, Gar, how about you? And Reapley, so anything Reapley on uh, Twitter, Instagram, or .com, spelled R-H-E-A-P-L-Y. You might also think of it as reapply, and then you can actually listen in. We've got a new podcast. Um, called the Multi-Useiverse Podcast. So um, I'm very excited about launching that last uh, two weeks ago. So please Excellent. give it well, a listen. Congratulations. All Thank right. You. And Matt, how do we stay in touch with yeah. you? And how does the layperson keep up on what you all are doing with Upstream? Yeah, we'd love you to come visit us at upstreamsolutions.org. That's also our handle for all the socials. So if you just go to your favorite social platform and and and, and search for Upstream Solutions, you're going to find us. We'd love for you to, to consider uh, joining our email list. We send out a weekly email every single week. We've got curated things for you to do. It's also, we, we release uh, the Indisposable podcast every week um, when we've had Lindsay, Crystal, and we're about to have Gar on the show. So you want to even dive in deeper, you can go check, check, check us out of the indisposable podcast wherever you like to get your podcast so thanks again excellent. thanks for having us nikki excellent all right y'all i want to thank you so much um we clearly learned something today uh better way than throw away i think that is a perfect way to encapsulate the conversation we had today i don't know about you but sometimes i feel it like it's really overwhelming all these things we need to do out there i compost i recycle um, I am trying to reuse, but clearly I'm not reusing enough and uh, there are ways to do it. So I want to thank you for joining me today on Industry Night. Don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, check out Foodie and the Beast every Sunday at 11 a.m. on WFED 1500. Of course, you can subscribe at Real Fun DC or you can subscribe on wherever you get your podcast. So uh, thank you for joining me. And just a quick reminder out there, it is getting better.
we look like we are at the end of the pandemic. If you haven't gotten your vaccine, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you're waiting to get your booster, you can go get it. Um, if you're a kid, I'm so excited for you because you too can get your vaccine. Uh, mask up when asked, hand sanitized still. And just remember, there are disruptions happening in every industry and especially in the food and restaurant industry. Just be kind out there. Nobody wants to screw you. Everybody's just trying to get by. So a little bit of kindness, please. I wanna thank you all again and I'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.